I'll still bless you in the middle of the storm, in the middle of my trial. I'll still bless you in the middle of the road when I don't know where to go. I'll still bless you in the middle of my storm, in the middle of my trial. I'll still bless you when I'm in the middle of the road and I don't know which way to go. Yeah, I will praise 
Today we're doing a youth takeover because the lead pastor is gone. So the youth team is doing the service this morning. So it's going to be fun. We got some questions on your guys' chairs that you can take home and review, you know, talk it over with your family because we're doing a family service today. So, yeah. So first of all, on announcements, we have a, a text in church thing. If you text welcome to 530-290-8488, it's basically a digital connection card so we can uh, get your number and communicate with you guys. So that's super cool. And then today, as I said, we don't have any Metanoia kids. We're doing a family service. October 17th, we're doing a chili cook-off for 242, and there's actually going to be a prize for the winner. So if you guys want to sign up for that, it's going to be super fun. We're going to have uh, voting. And yeah, it's going to be fun. And eating and sampling and all that good stuff. <laughs> and then on October 31st, we have a night of harvest. So we need volunteers for Trunk or Treat. Or if you just want to help, we're going to be doing games, food, um, music, all kinds of stuff. It's super fun every year. So that's going to be super cool. And then tonight is the monthly corporate worship communion and prayer night. So we're just meeting back here at 6 for prayer and worship and some communion. We'll just pray over the community, pray over the church, any prayer requests, things like that. And then the Metanoia Youth is going to Bishop's Pumpkin Farm this Saturday. And we are leaving at... You don't have the slides? What time are we leaving at again, Clint? 9 a.m. Okay, so we're meeting here meet here at 8 30 and we'll be leaving at 9 so it's gonna be super fun all the youth are invited and now it is time for worship all right guys if you would stand and then um, I'll lead us in with a prayer God I come to you now Lord I just thank you for everyone here God and just everyone watching online Lord I just um, I pray our hearts would be open for what you want to do in us Lord and I pray that we would be focused and Worship on worship you, Lord. Um, I just thank you again for the opportunity that we have to worship you and 
meet freely, Lord. God, I just thank you for everything you're doing and everything you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.
Transformation. I've been crucified. 
Lord, I just praise you, God. I just thank you that no matter what, Lord, that you're there for us, God, and that I thank you that you're someone that we can dedicate our life to, God. There's no one like you, Lord.
God, I come to you now, Lord. I just thank you for that time of worship we had, Lord. And I just, there are no words to describe how wonderful and great you are, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, that you, we can build our lives around you, Lord. And I just, I pray over the rest of the service, Lord. I pray again, Lord, that our hearts just continue to be open and to you, Lord, and that we would get what you want us to get out of the message, God. And I just pray that um, you would use Clint as a, um, a vessel for you, Lord. And God, I just thank you for everything you're doing here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, take a second to say hello to those around you, and um, the message will get started shortly. Is everybody having enough coffee? Coffee and water in the back. <coughs> How is everybody today? Good. For those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Clint. I teach the youth here at Metanoia. And um, Brian and Gina are on a much-needed week off. Um, they'll be coming back later today. But they asked if I could teach, and I was like, well, let's have some fun with it. Let's do a Betanoia Youth Takeover. So the youth team is doing today's service. So I teach the youth. There's my beautiful wife there, Ashlyn. She does the discussion questions, as you guys all see in your chairs. What we do is we teach, and then we have discussion questions with the kids afterwards. And Chris back there does the media and announcements. Danielle does the worship, and then Elisha was on the guitar. He does that as well here, and he does the games. So that's our youth team. So if you guys know of any youth, we meet here on Thursdays at 6 o'clock, and we have a lot of fun. Lily and Jason know how much fun we have here. So we're going we're gonna to look a lot like we do would on a youth night. So if it appeals to you, then you could tell your favorite youth about it. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today. And it's a very big chapter with a lot in it. But I was like, well, I got one shot to do this. So I'm going to attempt to just do the entire chapter all at once. Because I know a lot of times people break it up. But I was like, I got one shot. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we can have somebody bring one to you. And then uh, we'll get started. <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just... Be in the midst of us, Lord, God, that you would just speak through me, God. Get me out of the way, Lord, and let your message be heard to your people, Lord. And I uh, just thank you again for letting us be here, God. And uh, You're an amazing Father, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So Romans chapter 8, it's a very, very big chapter. Um, but before we start off, I do need to give some context in regards to the last couple chapters that really led up to what we'll be studying this morning, because... Unless you really take Romans as a whole and you just jump in the middle of it, you're like, wait, what is he talking about? Like, how did he get to this point? So I encourage you, go home and read the entire book of Romans. It's a very good book. Um, there's, a, there's some confusing stuff in there, but um, 
God's word is true and alive, and I believe that he will speak to us through his word. So in Romans chapter 5, Paul explains to us that because sin entered into the world through one man, through one man, the world would be saved. It then shows us that the law entered so that offense might abound, meaning that the law was here to show us our sin against God's standard. But because of God's grace towards us, Paul writes, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Okay? So then this presents an issue, though. Paul explains it in chapter 6. He asks the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And if you don't know, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Right? I heard a, uh, my old youth pastor years ago say, it'd be like if somebody walked up to you, hit you in the face, and said, here's $10. Like, wait, what? That doesn't even make sense. But that's what grace is. It doesn't make sense. Okay? It's getting what we don't deserve. So he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We were baptized unto his death when we accepted Jesus in our hearts. We are to walk in newness of life. Our old man was crucified with Christ on the cross. We are called to be dead to our sin and not let it reign in our mortal bodies. We are now under grace and not the law anymore. But then again, this also presents another issue that Paul continues with in the very next chapter. Shall we sin because we are under grace and not under the law? Certainly not. We can either be a slave to sin that leads to death or righteousness that leads to life. You might ask yourself then, well, then why do we have the law? Chapter 7 then continues saying that the law was good and not sin because it showed us God's standard and showed us how much we needed a Savior. We live in, a very, we live in very sinful bodies that don't go with us when we die, so our flesh doesn't care where we spend eternity. He continues by saying that for what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. You see, because we are still in sinful bodies, we are going to continue to make bad choices, but we don't have to live in those choices. There's a very big difference in living in your sin and having sinned. We don't have to be slaves to those choices. Thanks to the Holy Spirit being sent to us as a helper, we have another option, to be so option besides just being dead in our trespasses. Jesus Christ is the only one who can deliver us from the body of death. And this is what leads us to chapter 8, which starts with the very words that all Christians should take encouragement from. So starting in chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Since God the Father does not condemn Jesus, neither will the Father condemn those who are in Jesus. They are not condemned, they will not be condemned, and they cannot be condemned. Too many times Christians don't take victory and being in Christ Jesus. You guys, you have to remember, we have the true and living God living in us, and sometimes we let our current circumstances dictate our relationship with him. Jesus does care about what we are going through, and he also doesn't condemn you. We shouldn't condemn ourselves either. Jesus loves us and wants us to come to him, and he will forgive you of your sins. I think sometimes we get too caught up in our heads and we, we sit there and we start condemning ourselves because of the things that we're going through. But we have to always stop and remember that, yes, we shouldn't be living in our sin, 
but God does forgive us and he cares about us. I mean, it wasn't like Jesus 2,000 years ago died on the cross. It was like, yeah, I died on the cross up until that certain point in your life, and then, yeah, from here on out, you're on your own. No, he knew that 2,000 years later, we'd be standing in the spot that we are now, where we are at in our lives, and he still chose to die for us in our sins. We receive this gift, though we certainly deserve condemnation. We receive this standing because Jesus bore the sin of the world and the judgment we deserved, and our identity is now in him. And he is condemned no more. We are condemned no more. I will say this quote from Charles Spurgeon, though. If you're not in Jesus Christ, there is condemnation for you. It is no pleasant task to have to us to have to speak of this matter. But who are we that we should ask for pleasant tasks? What God hath witnessed in Scripture is the sum and substance of what the Lord's servants are to testify to the people. If you are not in Christ Jesus and are walking after the flesh, you have not escaped from this condemnation. So you guys have to remember, too, that this is directed at people who are living in Jesus Christ. So if you don't have Jesus Christ in you, there is condemnation for you. And I think too many times people want to appeal to people's feelings, and they're too scared to tell you that if you don't have Jesus, you are going to hell when you die. Mm -hmm. That is the fact. You will be in hell if you do not have Jesus Christ in you, and you will be condemned for everything that you have done. I love teaching children because I get to explain to them that even one little sin is what separates us from God. And I think we like to categorize sin in our heads, like, oh, this is worse, this is not as bad. But the thing is, is sin is sin in God's eyes. It doesn't matter if you call it a white lie or what kind of bow tie you like to wrap around it, sin is sin. And I think we've come far away from calling sin what it is. We call it things like pride. You know, we call it things that the world would not be politically correct. But sin is sin. The Bible is very clear on what sin is. But we as humans, because we live in these sinful bodies, we try to take that sin, to wrap it around how we feel about it, and say, no, you know what, I think this is what the Bible actually means about it. Why? Because we don't want to walk away from our sin. How much would we love to be able to say, hey, I found in the Bible where it says this, so that means that I can continue to do this. Instead of saying, you know, no, actually the Bible says this is sin. And sin is what separates me from Jesus Christ. See, if you have Jesus Christ living in you, he conforms you to the likeness of his image. And it doesn't happen overnight. There's, there's people who've been in ministry their entire lives who are continuing to walk out their salvation, as the Bible says. This Christian walk, you don't wake up and go, all right, I believe in Jesus, I have faith in him, and like, all right, you're good. It's a continuous walk every day. But I think a big part of it starts with us realizing what sin is and calling it what it is instead of trying to wrap it in a cute little present so it fits our narrative. Every, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to put our pride aside and realize, you know what? I've sinned. It doesn't matter if, if my heart is for the Lord or if my heart's after the flesh. Everybody has sinned. And until I put that pride aside and realize I need Jesus, if I'm going to continue to walk in the flesh and I'm not going to accept Jesus as my Savior, there is condemnation for me. So I encourage you, do you have Jesus in your heart or not? 
because if you don't, there's condemnation. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, we are free from the law of sin and death in Jesus Christ, because when we die, we get to spend eternity with the creator of the universe. And that's an encouragement for Christians. And this was only possible because God sent his own son to die on the cross as the final and ultimate sacrifice because he knew we couldn't bridge the separation because of our own sin. See, time and time again in the Bible, you see, especially the Israelites, they were in slavery for over 400 years in Egypt. God does these miraculous signs, sends them out of Egypt, and they start walking out into the desert, and the first thing they do is start complaining. Oh, I wish we could be back in Egypt right? We get sin in our life, right? And we get these things in our life. And instead of realizing the bad things about it, we're like, oh, you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And so we want to return back to it, even though it was terrible. God's plan was not for them to stay there. And God's plan is not for you to stay in your own sin. That's why he sent his son to die on the cross for us, because he knew that we could not do it on our own. You see, God is so righteous that when he sets his laws, he follows them himself. Even to the point where sin abounded, he knew there needed to be a sacrifice to atone for our sins, and he accomplished this out of an unfathomable love for us by sending his perfect son to the earth to pay the price for what we deserve. He lived a sinless life and was the lamb without blemish that fulfilled the atonement for the sin of mankind once and for all. See, because back in the, in, before Jesus came here, they had the sacrificial system for you would sacrifice an animal to atone for your sins, right? Well, you still continue to sin, so you constantly needed to keep sacrificing to atone for those sins because God's righteous requirement was that you had to have blood spilled to atone for your sins. And I sit there and think about it. I'm like, man, if we still live by that, I don't think there'd be any animals on this planet. <laughs> Thank God he sent his son to, and to pay the final price that we don't have to do that anymore. And, but the problem with that, oh, though, is that you live in bondage when you're constantly trying to atone for something that you can't control. Once Adam and Eve came to this earth and they sinned, sin was here. That's it. And up until Jesus Christ was here, we were bound to that sin until that Savior came to atone us once and for all for that sin. But the cool thing is, is this righteous requirement of sin gets to be fulfilled in us. It doesn't get to be fulfilled by us, but in us. Jesus is the one who does the work. But it is only for those who have Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I want to stress that this morning. This is only for people who have Jesus as their Savior. Once we surrender our lives to him and he sends his spirit to work through us, it is a lifelong, beautiful process of being refined and made like Jesus while simultaneously being used to glorify God and touch the lives of those around us. We get an opportunity to be his hands and feet while when we align our lives with his will, and there's nothing more fulfilling on earth than this. So what does it mean to walk in the Spirit like it says in verse 4? It means the course, the direction, and the progress of one's life is directed by the Holy Spirit. It is a continued and progressive motion. 
and we have the Holy Spirit in us. He does amazing things with us. God said that he could not send the helper unless he died first. So it was only through Jesus' sacrifice that we have that helper in us. But again, only for those who have Jesus as their personal Savior. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Amen to that. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Paul then starts talking about people who live according to the flesh, and what he, he means is non-believers. Does that mean that we can't fall into the trap of living in our flesh? Of course not. We're still in sinful bodies. We're still going to make bad choices. As Christians, we are called to live according to the Spirit, though. Commentator David Guzik had this to say about living in the flesh. We shouldn't think those who set their minds on things of the flesh are only notorious sinners. They may be noble people who have good intentions. Peter meant well when he told Jesus to avoid the cross, but Jesus responded to Peter with these strong words, You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. He said, Get behind me, Satan. The Spirit of God dwells in all believers. It is our sign that we are truly saved. Those who are not believers do not get the Holy Spirit in them. While the Holy Spirit can and has worked through non-believers, he lives in those who have put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. See, when we live in our flesh, like it says here in verse 8, we can't please God at all. There's nothing in this that can please God. You know, we, we, we go through this life, and it's hard. It is really hard. You know, it's, it, I, I would even say that it might be harder for Christians than it is for people who are living for the world because we are trying to walk in newness of life when we have sin surrounding us 24-7. And to try to live above that higher standard is not always easy. I mean, it says here, to be carnally minded is death. See, we sit there and we think that living after our flesh is going to be great. That's the answer. You know what? I'll just do this. It's easier. But what's easier isn't always best. And I would rather be living in Jesus with paradise than living for my own flesh. Many people miss out on living the Christian life in the constant fulfillment of the Spirit because they are not constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit then? We ask Him. We seek Him in prayer and in His Word. 
We set our minds on things above and not focus on things of this world. Now, does that mean that things of this world are always bad? Not necessarily. But are they ruling your lives? Are they separating you from Jesus? Are they keeping you from having a full-fledged relationship with Jesus? It's like I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, you know, video games aren't necessarily bad for you guys. But if they're going to be an idol to you and they're going to replace God, then yes, that is bad. And you should not have it in your life. I don't think we take enough time out of our lives to sit there and go, you know what? Is this preventing me from having a full-fledged relationship with Jesus? I mean, even work, for instance. It's possible to have your work prioritized over Jesus Christ. I mean, when we die, it's not going to, on our graves, and be like, made sure to show up on time to work every week. Nobody's going to care. Yeah, of course, we're called to take care of our families. But is it ruling your life? I mean, even myself, I work a lot of hours at work. But it's not ruling my life, though. I, God has called me to work to take care of my family, and I will do it every single day for as long as he calls me to. But my main focus is Jesus Christ, because I know my work isn't going to save me and send me to heaven. It's only Jesus Christ that's going to do that. So again, the things of this world are not always bad. But if they're keeping you from Jesus Christ, then yeah, you might want to consider whether they are bad for you in your life. Because what, what somebody's things in their life may look like to them may not always look like it for somebody else. Everybody has their own struggles. But that's between you and God to figure out. <laughs> Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption to whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Paul constantly reminds us that living after the flesh ends in death. We need this reminder because we are often deceived into thinking that the flesh offers us life. But how do we put to death the deeds of the body? Only through the Holy Spirit. It is a constant daily thing. This is what Jesus meant when he said to take up our cross daily. I mean, so I want to ask you guys something. How many of you guys would come to church, right? Or put it in this way. You go out to eat at your favorite restaurant. Let's say, let's just say Sunday, for instance. We're going to go eat lunch together. But then you're not going to eat lunch again until next Sunday. How many of us would do that? Nope, not at all. But why don't we apply that to reading God's word or seeking him out? I mean, to constantly be filled with this word and God's spirit. I mean, the Bible says, David wrote about his cup overflowing onto others. I want my cup overflowing so much that I have no choice but to spread it to others. But I'm not going to eat just once a week. Neither am I going to just read this once a week either. Because this is what offers life. 
you have to constantly keep eating and eating and eating again. We're going through the book of John in youth, and we just talked about the bread of life and how Jesus said man cannot live on bread alone, right? Of course, we need to eat. God knows we need to eat, but God also says that we need his word, and we need his son, and we need a constant filling of his spirit. And I think too often we leave it up to the pastor. We leave it up to the church to be like, all right, that's their job. But when I get home, I'm free of it. I don't need to worry about it. But what many people misunderstand is this is a personal relationship with Jesus that you have to pursue. It's not me. It's not your friends. It's not your parents. It's not anybody else. If they, Jesus, you're not going to get up to heaven. Jesus go, oh, hey, well, uh, did your parents vouch for you? Okay, you're good. No. He's going to tell you, welcome, good and faithful servant, or depart from me. I never knew you. This is a personal relationship that you have to decide for yourself whether you want to do it or not. Nobody else can make that decision for you. But how do, yeah, we, we do this with the Holy Spirit, though. We seek him out, and he guides us. Down here in verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That phrase, Abba, Father, has a very intimate meaning. It means daddy. It's just anybody who has kids knows that intimate feeling when their, their kids come up to them and they call them daddy. It's such a special thing, and that's the intimate relationship we should have with God the Father. Jesus had that relationship with God the Father. They are all in one trinity, but Jesus still subjects himself to God the Father. And it means a lot to me especially because I was adopted. Adoption through, for me was a chance at a new life, and so this rings true to my heart because had I not been adopted, who knows what kind of life I would have lived? Who knows if I would be standing here to this day? But I do know that because I was adopted, I was introduced to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, even though I lived a life not according to him as a teenager because I was very angry, brought me back to him. And it was only through him that I'm standing here today. But Paul, when he's talking about adoption here, under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights to his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out with all debts being canceled, with nothing from his past counting on him anymore. And that's exactly what Jesus did to us. Our debt is canceled. See, when we get up to heaven one day, if we have Christ Jesus in us, God's going to look at us and see his son. He's not going to see us in our sin because Jesus paid that debt. And how sad is it that people take that and they go, you know what? I know Jesus paid the debt, but I got to keep doing this to make sure that I'm, I know I'm saved. Well, wait, I thought Jesus paid it all, though. He did pay it all. That's what it's talking about here when he's saying the adoption. Nothing from his past counting against him anymore. And because of all this, we get to be heirs with Christ himself. See, Jesus could have easily just have died on the cross for our sins, and that would have been enough. 
but he did more than that by adopting us into his family to allow us to become heirs of the kingdom with him. Jesus easily could have just been like, you know what, I'm going to die for your sins, but that's it. You're saved, that's it. No, we are part of God's family. That's an amazing thing. See, salvation was for the Israelites, but when they rejected their Savior, salvation opened up to us, and we get to be part of that family. I don't think we ever stop enough and think to ourselves, being part of Jesus Christ's family. And just think about that for a second. That's an amazing thing. Because, see, men will fail you. Too many times people walk away from the church because they're like, oh, that person hurt me. Well, yeah, people are always going to hurt you. Jesus won't. Jesus is part of my family that I follow. I don't come here to serve people. I come here to serve Jesus because I know what he did in my life and I know he can do it in anybody else's life too. So I don't come here for anybody but Jesus. And praise the Lord that he got a hold of my heart because now I get to offer that truth to my children and my family and others around me too. I can't take what I've learned through this word and just sit on it. I feel obligated to go tell others. It's like having the cure to cancer. I mean, would any of us take the cure and just sit on it? No. Why do we take this and not want to share it with others? This has more life than the cure to cancer could ever offer. Sure, you might cure your cancer, but you're still going to die. Where are you going to go when you die? I cannot take this word and not go tell others about it because it is too important and people's lives are too important to risk. But part of this glorification we get to have with Jesus also means that we share in the sufferings with Jesus. But who would want suffering? Not me. But Paul explains in the next verses that all this suffering we go through is nothing compared to what's going to be revealed in us. So starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Paul was not ignorant or blind to the sufferings of human existence. He experienced more of them than most of us do today. Yet he still understood that the future glory far outweighed the present sufferings because without a heavenly hope, Paul considered the Christian life foolish and tragic. Because think about that for a second. If we're going to go through all this suffering and all this pain and the end result is nothing, well then this is foolish and it's, it means nothing. But our hope is in Jesus Christ that when we die we get to spend eternity with him. So even though we are suffering and we go through things on this earth, it's all going to be worth it in the end. And I think that once we get to heaven we're going to look back and go, why did I worry at all? Yet in light of eternity, it is the wisest and best choice anyone can make. We are wise to live this short earthly life remembering that we are investing into our eternity. And this is only 
such a small part of our existence, but it's a very important part because what we do here determines how and where we spend the rest of it. And again, that's, that's a decision that you have to make on your own. Nobody here can make it for you. And even to kids, too. One of my favorite stories to read to kids is about King Josiah. You can go read about him in 1 Kings 22. And he was a king who had a terrible father and a terrible grandfather. You would think that everything that he had to raise him up, that he was going to be evil. He was eight years old, and he became king. And many consider him and David two of Israel's greatest kings ever. So for you kids here, you're never too young to follow Jesus with all your heart. Don't ever think, oh, well, I'll just do that when I'm later, you know, when I'm older. No, do it now, because we are not promised tomorrow. This life of walking with Christ is not just for adults. It's for anyone who's willing to accept that call and allow him to be the savior of your life and not yourself. Paul considers that creation itself is eagerly waiting the revealing of the sons of God. This is because the creation was subjected to futility on account of man's sin and will benefit from the ultimate redemption of men. One day, hopefully very soon, this world will come to an end and it will be back to how God intended it to be. The fulfillment of our redemption is something we hope for in faith and perseverance, trusting that God is faithful to his word and knowing that this promised glory will one day be a reality. See, when, when Adam and Eve came to this earth and they sinned, the world went down with us. God never intended this world to be the way that it is. So the earth suffers with us, even though you know, we have sin in our bodies, well, the earth is suffering right there with us. And it groans out, waiting to be redeemed back to where it's supposed to be. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Why do we hope for what we don't see? That's called faith. Jesus told his disciples that we were, are going to be blessed because we believe and have not seen. The disciples believed because they saw and they believed. How much harder is it for us that we haven't seen these things happen we believe, even though we haven't seen it. And it gives me encouragement, too, because the disciples walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They literally left everything behind to go spend their days with Jesus, yet they still doubted. They still sinned. They still denied Jesus, and they walked away. But what happened? Jesus brought them back. He brought them back, and he used those very same people to spread the word and give us this word. And that gives me encouragement because I'm like, man, you guys walked with Jesus. You saw the things that he did. Yet I'm up here. I haven't seen a single thing. And I'm telling you that this is true. And I know it's true because of the miracle that he has done in my own life. 
Like I said, if he can do it in mine, I know he can do it in yours. When we are weak and do not know exactly how we should pray, God himself through the Holy Spirit helps make intercession for us. How cool is it that the creator of the universe intercedes on our behalf when we are weak? What a loving God he is, and we don't deserve it at all. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, when whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. God's sovereignty and ability to manage every aspect of our lives is demonstrated in the fact that all things work together for, th for good to those who love God. And though we must face the sufferings of this present time, God is able to make even those sufferings work together for our good and his glory. See, we can go through all these things in life, right? But if they're not leading us back to Jesus, then it means nothing. If we're not taking the things that God has placed in our life or allowing to happen, and it's not leading us back to him, then we might need to reconsider our relationship with him. Because what is this supposed to lead to? It's supposed to lead us to be conformed to the image of his son. See, we can live this whole life and go through all these things, but if they aren't helping us become more like Jesus, then what's the point? As Christians, we go through many things, but our hope is in the fact that we are becoming more like Jesus. And when we die, we get to spend eternity with him. A lot of times people think that becoming a Christian means that... Uh, your life is going to be great. You're going to be rich. You're going to be famous. You don't have to worry about a single thing from here on out. That's it. You believe in God? Sweet. You're a millionaire. You are a millionaire in a different sense, though. I would rather be a millionaire with my mansion in heaven with Jesus Christ than getting to have millions of dollars here on earth that are going to burn away one day. Like I said, taking up your cross every day is not an easy feat at all. And there are many days where you get so frustrated, like I'm, it's so much easier to just walk away. Because it is. It is easier to just walk away and live how you want to live. But it's not worth it. Like I said, would you rather have your millions in Jesus or millions on this earth? This earth is going to pass away so fast, we're not even going to be able to blink. I mean, I'm not very old, but I know my life has gone pretty quick. I know I've watched my kid, who's going to be on a teenager next year. That was quick. I literally have five years left before he's an adult making decisions on his own. What in the world happened in that time? But are we taking this time and using it for God's glory. See, time is too short to sit here on our hands and go, yeah, I'll just let somebody else do it. No, God has placed in all of us a gift that we can use 
to further his kingdom. And you may not know what that gift is, but the more you seek God, I guarantee he's going to reveal it to you and he's going to help you use that for his glory. Because see, if we're not going through all these things to be conformed to the image of his son, then again, it means nothing. It's hard, but it is worth it. And I would much rather face God one day and he see his son in me instead of seeing the ugly me that I know that I am without Jesus. So, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> That's an amazing thing. God is for us. Literally, the creator of the universe is for me. He knows me by my name. He knows how many hairs are on my head. He knows my heart. The creator of the universe knows me. And because of that, nobody can be against me. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of us take victory in that today? Even as Christians, we don't realize who is on our side and who is for us. I will say I would much rather have God on my side than anyone else. And knowing that the creator, creator of the universe cares about me that much to be on my side in even seemingly small matters means everything to me. God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and nothing can separate us from his love for us. It says no created thing and that includes us. There's nobody here if you have Jesus in you, that's going to separate you from that love. God promises us that there, there is nowhere too far for his love to reach. When we come to him in repentance and ask him to make us clean again, he doesn't say, well, I don't know. I think you have messed up too much for me to forgive you. I think it's time we cut ties. No, when he comes to us, when we come to him with humble hearts, seeking to turn things around, he picks us up, dusts us off, and sets us back on the right path to walk with him again. Don't ever let the lies of the enemy that tell you that you are messed up beyond repair stop you from going to the Father because there's nothing beyond repair when it comes to God Almighty, and he can do a lot more with a humble man who is aware of his need for redemption. God wants you right where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done this morning. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday, what you did last week, what you did a year ago, what you did 20 years ago. It doesn't matter. God wants you. He wants all of us to come to him with humble hearts and say, Jesus, I need you so much. 
because we can be manly and go, you know what, crying is not for men. But I, I promise you that day that I fell on my knees crying to the Lord, saying how much I needed him. I have never felt more free in my life. Because look, guys, all of us are going through so much in life, but if you're truly a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit to lead you. We have Jesus making intercession for us, and we have no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is up there making intercession for us while the devil is telling him, look what he did. Look what she did. See, they don't deserve your love. Jesus Christ says they're mine. And he's up there making intercession for us, telling God the Father they're mine. We are much more than conquerors than Jesus. Think about what a conqueror is, somebody who goes and conquers lands and conquers and gets what they want. God says in Jesus Christ, we are more than that. Death and sin have no dominion over me. My body may die one day, but my spirit won't. And I get to be with Jesus Christ when I die. And because of this, we have the ability to go and sin no more. Even though we may stumble and mess up from time to time, we are no longer bound as slaves to habitual sin as if we know no other way. We have been called and redeemed through Jesus Christ. I don't think enough of us take victory in the fact that Jesus has taken us and he has made us new. Instead, we look at our current circumstances and think, you know what, Jesus, I've just I've done it too much for you. But God says there's no condemnation for you, for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is for us, and he's up there making intercession for us so that we can be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I think that's something that we needed to stop and just reflect on and realize who is actually for us. Because there are so many things going on in this world that are making us scared and going, you know what, i got to make these decisions if I just want to keep on moving through life. This is not our world. This is not our home. This is not what we should be living for. What are your priorities? Is it Jesus or is it this world? But if you don't have Jesus as your personal Savior, I implore you to pray to God and ask how that might look in your life. Your whole world will change once you come to the end of yourself and surrender to the one who loves you more than you'll ever understand. See, I have kids, four of them. And I, I, when I had my second daughter, I did not think that my heart was big enough to love that many girls. It, obviously it was. God used it. And I can only imagine the love that I have for my children in this sinful body. How much more does God love me? I can't even imagine. He says to come as we are. And because he loves us so much, he won't leave you where you are. There is freedom in the surrender, and you will never be the same. Jesus offers more to us than this world could ever offer you. And I promise that even though we might still go through things in life, I'd rather have Jesus on my side going through it than by myself. You know, it's, again, it's not an easy thing to walk with Jesus. And I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend that once you accept Jesus, your life's going to be golden from here on out. You're going to go through many things where God is slowly refining you to become more like his son. And it's going to hurt a lot. But 
I will say this, it's worth it. So if you don't have Jesus in your heart, find one of us afterwards and talk to us about what that might look like for your life. You know, it's not a decision anybody else can make for you, um, but I promise you that it's worth it. Um, if you guys have kids who would love to come and hang out with us on Thursdays, we'd love to have them. We'd like to have fun. We'd like to teach God's word, and we'd like to be there for these kids. Um, so we'll pray, and then we'll fellowship together. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing me to come up here, Lord, and that you could just use me in whatever way possible, Lord, to glorify your name, God. I pray that if there's somebody here who doesn't know who you are, God, that they wouldn't leave here today without asking you to be their, your personal Savior. Lord, thank you for changing my life, Lord, and thank you for changing the lives of the people that I know here who I love very much, God, and you've changed their lives too, God. I ask that you would just continue to use your people to reach the lost and broken, Lord, and that they would humble themselves and realize how much they need you, God. You are so good, Lord, and we just thank you for allowing us to be here, God. I pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Thank you for allowing me to be here.